Welcome. You're listening to sermons and talks from Providence Church in Brisbane. We believe that God speaks to us through his word, the Bible. So we pray that as you listen, you'll be encouraged and challenged to love Jesus and live for him. For more information about Providence Church, please visit our website, www.providencechurch.com. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 to 12. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the fields. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. Good morning again, church. Uh, we're going through a series in 1 Peter, and we, we started last week, and the series is called Firm in Faith. And I thought we'd start the year with this, because I think it's helpful for us to uh, be reminded of who we are in Jesus, who we are as Christians, uh, and, and to consider how do we live out the faith, because the world is a very different place um, in, terms of, uh, in terms of what it was like growing up, even for myself. But thinking about how we live out the faith, it's, it's actually quite hard today. And, and it's very often countercultural. But it's also something that the church 2,000 years ago, they experienced it too, being uh, the minority, being uh, Christians following Jesus. It was very countercultural for them too. So I felt 1 Peter was a really uh, a good idea for us as we start the year. Uh, and our MCGs, our, our small groups, will be looking through 1 Peter as well when they meet together. So that's why we're doing this series, Firm in Faith. I hope it's going to be helpful for us. Um, we're in our second week now, so let's pray and get into this passage that we just heard from Grace. Let's, let's pray now. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word, and we thank you that as uh, Christians we can hear from it, we can be encouraged by it, and we pray, Lord, that you'll move our hearts, be convicted by your spirit to to live for you uh, and live uh, under your word. I do pray for that, and as we uh, think through what it means to be a new people of God that uh, you, and to be holy, Lord, that you'll really uh, yeah, shape that and mold our minds, mold our hearts to that truth uh, so that we can live it out in, in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I want to start off with an article that I came across this last week uh, in the news. I don't know if you saw it as well, uh, but as in ABC News on, in, on a headline, it's Crypto Pastor Admits to Fraud on Video Claims the Lord Told Me to Remodel House with Funds. Uh, 
It's one of those titles that you just like, what is this? What is going on here? Uh, 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 if you're not a Christian here, I hope this isn't something that you, like, is normal. It's not normal. This is not normal. Uh, if, if it makes me sigh, shake my head a little bit. I don't want to speak badly about this person. This is a pastor in Denver. Uh, he, he, he pastors an online-only church, which is quite interesting. Uh, but just this news, this article, this title, like, what is going on here? Crypto pastor. The first thing that there's something wrong is, is the pastor is not a Christian pastor. He's a crypto pastor. So it, that's, that's what they've labeled him as because he started his own cryptocurrency. If you don't know what that is, it's a digital currency where people trade in, invest in. Uh, he's a, he, he started this coin called the INDX, index coin, called his followers, those who are part of his church, online church, to invest in it. And he used all this biblical language like, you know, what you sow, you will reap a hundredfold. He was saying stuff like that. And he raised up to $3.2 million in investments. But it was also done fraudulently. And he admits to it on video. So he got caught and then he admits to it because he probably felt guilty about it. Um, but the third thing that's also wrong with this title is that he, the Lord told him to remodel his house with funds. I find that really interesting. I mean... Yes, God speaks to us. I, I believe he primarily speaks to us through his word, the Bible, and that's what we always say here at, at Providence as well. But for him to, to say that God called him to fraudulently obtain money and then to remodel his house, I don't know if God is doing that. I don't know if God is telling any of us to do that. It's unethical and unbiblical. And I'm going to tell you, I, I, I don't think God is speaking. Now, I feel sorry for this guy. I don't want to speak bad. I don't know him. I don't know him at all, but I feel sorry for him. His face is all over the news, now labeled a fraud, and there must be a deep sense of shame and, and, and guilt, and I hope he feels remorse, and you know, I hope he truly under, gets to know what the Christian faith is all about. But I also read this, and it makes me feel a little bit oh, icky. Uh, that's the only word I can describe. icky. Like, you're just a little bit grossed out a bit. When you, when you come across Christians who make the news for the wrong reason, it just makes us, as Christians, I, I think oh, we all feel this way, just feel a bit uncomfortable. Like, yeah, I'm a Christian, but, but this, guy's, this guy's Christianity isn't... We're, we're very different. Yeah, we, we are not the same, right? It's that, it's that sort of feeling. And, and stories like this, it makes us just think, oh, this guy doesn't really make Jesus look very good, does he? With a headline like that, representing Christians, representing Christianity, Jesus... Obsessed with money, greedy for selfish gain. I hope we all think this is a, it, this is crazy. This is wild. It might be an extreme case, but is this the impression people have of Christians? Is this what Christians are like? And if Christians are like this, how are they supposed to be? How does God call us to live as His people? Will we listen to God's voice as it's spoken to us through His Word in the Bible? on how he truly wants us to live. I think the passage today really addresses that, that idea. The Christian goal in life isn't to <laughs> remodel your house, but to remodel our lives following Jesus. Last week, we looked at the first 12 verses of chapter 1 in this letter uh, from Peter, and uh, it establishes who we are as the church. He's writing to the church, and he wants to point out uh, our identity as Christians, that we are God's people. We're elect exiles. It's in the first couple of verses. We're born again as children of God. We aren't of this world. We belong to another. And at times, we won't fit into the culture around us. But we, will, we, we are called to look forward. We're called to live anticipating the heavenly home that is to come. And now it's in that context, right? We, every time we read the Bible, we've got to remember the context of the passage we're reading. What happened before? What happens after? The context is so important. And so that happened before last week. Here, the, the word, the first word in verse 13 is therefore, right? It's a connecting word. That means we need to know what he's saying before. So therefore... 
This is how we live. This is how we act. There are four ways, I think, that flows out of who we are that this passage tells us. The first thing that we're told to to consider is to set our hope on future grace. Let's read verse 13 again. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. We're a people who hope in the future grace of Christ's return. What is that grace? It's a gift of heaven. It's eternal life. A life where there is no more suffering and pain, where everything will be made right, but most importantly, where we get to be with God forever. We get to be with, uh, uh, have a relationship with the source of love and joy and peace and freedom. We get to be with Him forever. That's what we get to look forward to. That's the future grace. And so He starts off, if this is who we are, let's, let's keep our minds alert our, our, and fully sober. Let's set our hope on that future grace that is to come in Christ. I, I find that language so interesting as well. With our minds clear, sober, let our thoughts be fixed on that future hope. Uh, what's, the, what's the opposite of alert and sober? Uh, drowsy, drunk. <laughs> the, the impression is we're, we're meant to be sharp and focused, uh, aware of our surroundings, in control of our thoughts, our emotions, in the way that we live, in the way that we hope. Isn't it true, though, that the way we... Isn't it true when we think about the way we live, though, it's, it's, it, how we live is, is shaped by how we think. Isn't that true? What fills our minds and our hearts directs our actions. We live in a world where everyone is... Um, when, when you think about marketing, everyone's trying to sell you something. Sell you something that you don't need often as well. And, and, and we become victims of this consumerism. Uh, and if you're on social media, you know what I mean, right? If you're on social media a lot, you know what I mean. You see clips of, of travel, people, you know, travel blogs. You see your friends all going to Japan, and you start thinking, why am I not in Japan as well? And all of a sudden, you're realizing, I need to be in Japan. And all your thoughts start going, channeling down this, this path, and next thing you're buying tickets to Japan. And, you know, that's what, it, that's what happens. Your, your thoughts and your, your mind are filled with these ideas, and, you know, the influences be influencing, that sort of thing, right? <laughs> If you're not on social media, and you might not understand what I'm trying to say, but you, you see it when you go out to the shops. You see it in the billboards, the mannequins, the models. From the fashion we wear to the car we drive to the phone we use, we convince ourselves, our minds get so swept up with these thoughts that what we have isn't any longer meeting our needs. I need more. No longer satisfying or meeting our expectations. So we go out and we consume more, thinking our life will be better off if I just get that thing. You see, what, what I'm trying to say is what we think shapes our actions. I mean, that crypto pastor he sounded like he was fixated on wealth. And so he was making decisions, acting in a way based on what his mind was filled with. You have to ask, ourse- you have to ask yourself, how much do we actually have control over what we're thinking about? Now, I'm not trying to trigger any conspiracy nerds out there. Like, this isn't what I'm trying to do here. But we all live and breathe the air of our culture. The voices around us tell us how to think about success and love and freedom and security, and it shapes how we live and what we do. I'm influenced. I'm influenced all the time by, by others. I'm influenced. It's so easy to get sucked into living in a way uh, to fit in with friends, to pursue the, the good life from a worldly perspective, pursuing comfort and pleasure and recognition as an end in itself. Friends, we need discernment, don't we? We need to be wise, to be alert and sober-minded. What are our thoughts captivated by? Because our thoughts are going to shape how we live. Let that future hope of grace in Christ, let that saturate your minds. And imagine if it did. What would your life look like? I've met Christians, and there are Christians in this room who I know, when they read their Bibles each day, when they spend time in prayer, their thoughts 
shape how they live. They desire repentance, obedience. They desire change. They want to kill the sin in their lives. They desire holiness. Is that you? Will that be you? Fix, fixing your minds on that future hope? The future reality of Christ returning? You know, that's, that's, the, that's, that's the first point. Set your hope on the future grace. But the second point I, want, the, the, I think this passage uh, calls us in how to live is, is to be holy. 1 Peter 1, I should say 1, verse 14 to 16, says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Again, in, here in verse 14, we're obedient children. Right? He establishes who we are, our identity first, and who we are overflows to how we live. If we're children of a holy God, how will we resemble our Father in heaven, our, our God? He says, be holy as our Father God is holy. Imagine if that's, if that's how you and I were described, if someone described you that way. If your colleagues at work, your family, your friends at uni, your social groups, oh, that, that, oh, that, that person over there, wow, he's so holy. Not in a... We hear that, it sounds like it's, we're mocking them. Hey, we sound, it sounds like it's a, it's a bad thing, like a holier-than-thou sort of thing. It's not in our everyday vernacular, is it? We avoid it because it gives you the impression that you're better than everyone else, self-righteous, that sort of idea, the snobby, snobbiness about it. Or sometimes we just think it's unrelatable. When do you ever hear someone described as holy? Uh, I think about the Catholic Church and, and the Pope called the Holy Father. It's like some unattainable goal for the everyday Christian. It's, it's, it's awkward, isn't it, to be called holy, to be described that way? And only Jesus, as, as, as many Christians, as I believe, he's truly, perfectly holy. But imagine if that's what we were striving for, to be described that way. Imagine if that's what we could be known for. I know my friends would probably describe me more quickly as someone who's annoying or strong-headed or often opinionated. Pleasure-seeking, comfort-driven, I think that's how I think of myself. Maybe gluttonous sometimes as well, but holy? Not the first word that comes to mind. Peter says here to the church, church, average Christians like you and I, be holy like God is holy. Pursue godliness. I think that's more in our everyday word, in our everyday vernacular, be godly like God is holy, like God is godly. It's an odd thing, I, and, I, and I feel our generation would rather our friends look at our lives and say, oh, you're a Christian too? Oh, but you're just like us. And that makes us feel, I don't know, it makes us feel like we fit in. For some reason, it's, it's become a goal for us to blend in, to camouflage, to live and act in a way that compromises. Yet still, we can have the perks of Jesus, but we want to be down with the crowds as well. Why is that our goal now? It shouldn't be. Because here in 1 Peter, it says the goal is to be more holy. And to be more holy is to be more like Jesus, not to be more like the world around us. If for some reason we, we try so hard to fit in with our friends that we don't want to stand out. We don't want, we want to look like them. And I think that's something that we need to come back to, come back to when it comes to our faith, our actions, our speech, the decisions we make. When we, when we think about love and money, time and our possessions, Will we be more and more like Jesus or will we, and be less and less like the people around us? Would holiness be how people describe you and I? Yes, we're not perfect. But are people seeing you strive to be different as a Christian? 
to be generous in a world of greed. Selfless and sacrificial at times when being selfish and self-preservation makes sense. To be loving and gracious, humble and kind, even when it makes you stand out in the crowd. Wow, I know I struggle to do that all the time. I know I fail a lot at that all the time. But as a child of God, will you join me in striving for it? For that type of holiness where we're not pointing people to ourselves, but to God, our holy God? That's what verse 14 is all about. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires we were living in as Christian, before we were Christians. We can't follow and conform to the pattern of the world, be set apart. Once you become Christians, we're not running back to that old way of life where, where wealth and financial status was our God, which was our central pursuit in life, where security and success is not our ultimate aim. Even obtaining that romantic love or endless beauty and youth, that's not our purpose. God meets all our needs. We don't have to conform to the world's standards. We have something greater in God. And so we can live different. He has saved us from sin and our brokenness and saved us to himself so we can be set apart. Uh, I know celebrities aren't always the best examples of these because they're a bit unrelatable, but I've been following this um, celebrity called Kat Von D. She's um, famous. Um, a lot of women know her because of, of her makeup brand. But she was famous in the tat- she's famous in the tattoo world. She was on TV in a TV show about tattoos and it. She's heavily tattooed. She wears all black. She loves the goth look, right? That's just her her aesthetic. But she gave her life to Christ last year, and she got baptized in this small country church with everyone that looks very elderly and conservative. And she's there in her black, you know, dress, heavy makeup, in church with all her friends dressed the same way, and it's so awesome to see. She stands out so much for her looks. But as she shares on social media and her Instagram, it's so interesting because she shares her heart with her people, with her followers, about how good Jesus is in her life. She shared last year about how she got rid of all her books about the witchcraft and the occult, and how she wants her family to be surrounded. In an interview, she said she wants her family to be surrounded by the love and light of God. She doesn't want her old way of life. She's been born again, and I love that. And we need to ask ourselves, what does holiness mean? What do we need to leave behind? Old ways, evil desires that aren't godly or promotes the love and light of Jesus. You can keep your aesthetic, but are our hearts changing? Do we love Jesus? Do we want to obey him in repentance and obedience? Be holy in all you do is such a lofty command, isn't it? Impossible to do perfectly, yeah, we, just, we don't dismiss it altogether. We wrestle with it, we pursue it, we desire it. To be a Christian is to strive for holiness. The issue I see in our churches and even our own is that there'll be many who are fans of Jesus. Fans like his teaching. Fans like who he was. Fans like they get their sins forgiven and they get salvation out of grace. But there is no transformation or change. There's no desire for repentance or obedience. There's a huge, there's a world of difference between being a fan of Jesus and a follower of Jesus. A fan loves his teachings, but a follower walks in and strives for holiness. And as you look at the next few verses, I've got them on the screen as well. Since, verse 17, since you call on, father, on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. A fan doesn't stand before God in that reverence and fear of God's power. They fear instead the world and what the world thinks about them. A follower follows in 
humble submission, reveres God as God. Verse 18, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. See, a fan doesn't appreciate the cost by which you've been bought. Uh, I keep using him as an example, the crypto pastor though. You know, he was looking at money, gold and silver, that will save him. Something that will buy their way to heaven. The more rich you are in this life. We haven't been redeemed by those perishable things though. Gold and silver will fade away like everything else. The only acceptable currency, not crypto, it's the eternal life that we have in the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ is our currency. The precious blood of Jesus that covers our unholiness with His holiness. Followers follow because they know that grace wasn't cheap grace. It came at a cost. The blood of our Redeemer paid our ransom. Friends, if you're not a believer here today, that offer of salvation is for you too. Through faith in Jesus, his sacrifice, in His sacrifice, we're saved. His holiness for our brokenness. That's why Christianity is all about grace. It's why Christians desire to be holy. Because we've been forgiven of much. A response of gratitude and love to our Savior. This is what a follower looks like. And then verse 21 as well. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. A, a fan really puts their hope in themselves, don't they? A fan it puts their hope in their abilities, in their assets, in their resources, in the gods of this world. Uh, a fan has diversified their portfolio in case God doesn't come through for them. Just in case. I've got this here as backup. But followers, followers, Christians, children of God, they're all in. Live by faith and trust, faith and hope surrendering their lives under Jesus who died and was raised again for their forgiveness. Friends, we need to seek our holiness as we follow Christ. Now thirdly, love deeply. 1 Peter 1.22 says this, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. You know, we, we have to think about what holiness looks like and that looks like love. It's a, it's a deep mark. It's a, it's loving deeply is a mark of holiness, being set apart as his followers. Now, for Christians in the room, we, that makes absolute sense, right? We know Jesus. He's a, you know, it, it makes sense because when we think about his holiness, how does Jesus show us his holiness more than ever? It's, it's in love. Yet what we do as Christians, and this is, I think, something that we need to always be, again, alert and sober-minded about, is we elevate holiness and we confuse it for our giftedness and abilities. The Christians who are the smartest, those who have the highest capacity to serve church and, and do a lot, those who are obedient rule followers, upstanding citizens, those who are obedient children to their parents. Good things, great things that we should do. But it's, it means zilch if it's not marked by love. It means nothing if we're not loving God and loving others. The holy God who we worship, who calls us to holiness, is a God of love. How are we going to be holy? By doing more? Well, it's actually to be loving. What sets Christians apart from the world? It's love. It's not just any sort of fluffy love. It's a gospel-centered, sacrificial love that we've received in Christ. In that love, Peter calls us to love each other deeply. I mean, we've got to think about why he's even writing this to the church in the first place. I imagine in the early church, there was so much diversity. Jews, Gentiles, old, young men, women. Love is being preached to the church because love is hard to do. Love is hard to do when people around you are different to you. 
I mean, love is easy when they're your friends, when they're like you, when you have things in common, when they're, they're that's easy to love. It, it, and it's, it's easy to love. But then we also have this sense of, of a, a shallow sense of love too, where we can say, oh, I love everyone. Yeah, I'm a loving person. I love everyone. But really, that's really an excuse, isn't it, to not love anyone in particular. Sure, you love people, but you'll love them when it fits into your schedule only. You'll love them when it's at your convenience, in your comfort zone. Peter's calling to love sincerely and love deeply. Imagine if Jesus loved us when it was convenient for him. Loved us when it was in his comfort zone. Loved us when it fit, it fit his schedule. Love like Jesus is hard, isn't it? Sacrificing our time and our comfort in humility and grace. Love in a way that's not expecting anything in return. That's hard. But that's Christ-centered love. That's deep love overflowing from knowing Christ, knowing who we are as children of God. Providence, this is a question for us. Uh, is this the type of love we're striving for here in the way that we practice holiness? Because if it is, there's no room for pride. There's no room for judging one another. Uh, in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. That stuff is not love. He's telling us to rid ourselves of all those things. Yet they're real things that every community of people will struggle with. Every church with people who are different, different cultural backgrounds, different interests, different personalities, different Enneagrams and MBTIs. The, the truth is the human heart is sinful. And even the Christian will at times will hurt one another in ways like this. But if the community of God's people were marked by God's love, living that out, imagine that. There would be no room for deceit or hypocrisy or envy and slander. There'd be no room for self-righteousness or bitterness or jealousy. Instead, a safe space for forgiveness. A safe space to speak with honesty and kindness. A space to be vulnerable, to not receive condemnation or shame if you've stuffed up. Imagine a community where love is reciprocated and others who walked into this church could see that. Experiencing it and seeing God made visible in and through us. That would be deep love. A taste of, really, God's love for us in Jesus. Now, I need to say this. Let's not be naive. There are people who will take advantage of this compassionate love. There does exist unhealthy codependency and toxic relationships where it's masked as love. Now, all that stuff we learn in, in modern psychology, it happens in churches. But hear me on this. Love doesn't look like enabling sin. We can't enable sin. Love doesn't look like allowing others to sin against you or others, sweeping it under the rug. Love sometimes looks like tough love as well, where we speak truth in gentleness and firmness. Love looks like healthy boundaries, and love looks like hard work at times. It will take work. Like in any family amongst friends, between husband and wife, love is both natural but takes work. You're not here just to receive it. You're a Christian to give and offer it to. And then you're also here not to just give it, but also in humble, in humility, receive love and help, and help from others as well. See, deeply loving is, is this idea of love that Christ has shown to us. When Jesus goes to the cross to die for us, we were still his enemies. And Jesus still loved us with sacrificial love. It's very different, isn't it, to the culture's view of love. The culture's view of love is that, again, that consumeristic, a self-centered love, hoping to get something in return, 
loving in a way that serves us, benefits us in some way, but the covenant love of Jesus, it's self-sacrificing. It's a love that asks, how can I serve others even if it comes at a cost to myself? Lastly, live by the word of God. I'm going to read this. You have your Bibles. If it's too small, you can read from your Bibles. 1 verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass and its glory like flowers, like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn infants, infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. I read a big chunk to you because you can see, I, I did highlight it, this, I bold, made it bold, but you can see how the word of God is being um, spoken about throughout this text. And it's spoken about in different ways, truth, word of God, good news, spiritual milk, but... I believe these are all, these are all, it's all there because that's the foundation of how we're called to grow in holiness. That's how we become Christians and how we grow. I, this, this, the, the few verses there in verse uh, 24, is, it's from Isaiah chapter 40. It's in the Old Testament. Peter is essentially using that and, and quoting it, saying the word of God, the message of truth, the good news of Christ that we have, it's at the heart of our faith. It's the promise of new birth. It moves us from sin to holiness, growth in holiness, leads us to love God and love others. The word of God, the truth of Christ, that's our foundation. It never changes. It doesn't change like how culture changes every generation. It doesn't change like shifting sands. It remains, it endures. And, and so accepting that truth is where it all begins for the Christian. But look at verse verse two here like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk there's this imagery here isn't it it's a, it's, it's, it's a, honestly if, if you weren't a christian it sounds really odd it's a strange metaphor right because we're drinking spiritual milk but we're not drinking from a mother's breast no one's here gonna no one's breastfeeding you the word of god here um you don't want to take that imagery too far and if anyone was it'd be me right because i'm teaching the word of god but it's a metaphor Babies need milk. They crave it. And it's, it's amazing how, how, how it works. Babies grow and they gain kilos from drinking only their mother's breast milk. God made it so that there are so many nutrients and, and immunity that pass. I, I know this because you know, I've seen it with my own daughter. It's amazing how it nourishes a baby. It grows them and there's a, oh, it's, all, it's, all, it's so cool how God has created all that. But taking this imagery, the Christian is to long for and drink from the Word of God, to crave it because it's through the Word of God, the gospel and our Bibles that allows us to grow in maturity as children of God. It's where we get to know God and His character, His law, His love, His grace, His mercy and compassion. We learn about who He is and how he calls us to live and to love like him, to be holy as he is holy. And so when we read it, when we meditate it, when we soak it, and when we fill our minds with and then live out and practice the word of God, we, we are metaphorically just like spiritual babies, right? We're growing in our salvation, drinking from the word of God. That's the image that we have here as the people of God. And it's true, isn't it? Oh, it's so true. Taking, I think about Christians that I know. Uh, for, for, for the Christian life, living in this world is, is only, we're only able to endure. We're only able to stay on that narrow path to live the Christian life, setting our hope on future grace, pursuing holiness, deeply, lo deeply loving others around us. It's only possible when we have the Word of God as our foundation. It's our fountain of living water that we drink from. 
It's the, the ocean of delight that we swim in. It's the anchor for our souls amidst the winds and the waves in life. Friends, the Christian life is no easy walk in the park. We'll feel tempted to leave our faith. I've been a Christian for 20 years now. Oh, so many times I'm tempted to leave the faith. It's so hard at times. We'll be, we'll be tempted to pursue wealth and love and money more than the love of God. We'll be, we'll be tempted to find our hope in sex and status and success, but when we drink deeply from the Word of God, we'll press on as Christians. We'll press on as we journey, as we journey through this life. Isn't it true for you? Haven't you felt at times spiritually dry? Haven't you at times felt distant from God? At times not wanting to be a Christian? And then someone asks you, oh, have you read your Bible? And you're like, oh, I haven't. I don't think I've read my Bible for months. Of course you feel spiritually dry. Of course you feel distant from God. Uh, in my time as a pastor, I've seen it. It's, it's no longer a surprise to me when a Christian who has stopped drinking from the Word of God desi- decides to leave the faith. When they're no longer reading or spending time with God in His Word, they'll drift. We'll all drift slowly away from God. It's sad. It happens. Friends, keep craving it, desiring it, longing for it, because that's where we're going to grow. That's how we're going to enjoy and persevere when we feel weak, when the world feels so big and God feels so small. Come and drink from the truth. That's where we'll find stability and security and hope. That's where we'll find holiness. That's, how, that's why we'll desire holiness and why we will desire love for one another. A, a, a crypto pastor caught for fraud, it doesn't make Jesus look good, does he? But I wonder, as I, as I, as I preach to myself all of this that we've said today, I wonder, are we making Jesus look good in how we live? When people outside of church see us and they know that we're Christians, Are we making Jesus look good? As we think about our church, as we live out our faith here as a community of Christians, what impression will someone who doesn't go to church, how will they view Christianity from seeing us live out our faith? As people who have their hope in Jesus, would they describe us as holy, as loving, as godly? Would they see a people who live by the word of God? It's worth asking, isn't it? How are you and I making Jesus look What areas might I need to change? How can I live in a way that makes me set apart from the world, holy as I live in love, humility, grace, and in truth? Let's pray for that now. Father, help us to crave your word, to live out obedience because of the truth we have in Jesus, to live out holiness because you are holy, to deeply love others around us because you've deeply loved us. Father, may your word guide us, your spirit convict us, changing, changing us, giving us new desires as a new people, as your children, as we live out our faith in this world. In the name, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.